This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon on this uh, lovely Friday afternoon, heading into the long Labor Day weekend, and the sun has returned. Yes, that, that excites me, and reading the weather, just sun, sun, sun. Yeah, and in the 20s uh, yeah. for most areas through the weekend, so that's nice. Except for, there's always an exception, tonight the risk of frost across the island. Aww. Yeah. Just when some of my flowers are finally saying, is it okay to come out? <laughs> yeah, going back in. Again. Is it okay? Yeah. Um, what's the temperature out there now? Uh, let me just double check for you. I have oh, 12 degrees. Oh, still a little chilly. It is, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was surprised. I went out with my coat over my arm, and I was like, <laughs> oh, wait now. <laughs> I actually have to put this on. I have to zip it up. I have to put my hands in the pockets. So it was like 10 degrees it when looked, I came in this it, morning. It was deceiving yeah. when you looked at it. You expected it to be warmer than what it was? Yeah. yeah. And then earlier in the week, I had my coat on because it looked <laughs> miserable. And when I walked out, it was like walking into a sauna. Yes. You, I tell you, our eyes are deceiving us all summer long. <laughs> this is summer, fall, spring, winter oh, in Newfoundland yes. and Labrador. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're, we're expecting a lovely weekend. If you're on the highway now, keep your speeds down. It's going to be busy on the roads. And you're going to encounter somebody who's going a little slower than what you're used to driving. Uh, but uh, use patience. And if you want to pass, make sure it's a safe place to pass. Don't get impatient. Uh, you'll get where you're going. Yeah, I mean, really, how, how many minutes are you saving by going in and out of traffic. Yeah, that minutes. was the question raised by the RCMP this yeah. morning who see these things all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, use some patience. You'll get where you're going. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. That's the That can't be said enough. It is the mantra for Labor Day weekend because you know yourself being in the news business, you almost cringe next week. Well, we don't look forward to Tuesday morning, because you know, generally speaking. Yeah, it could be, you know, a, a boating accident, a vehicle accident, and sometimes... ATV crash. Yep. Yeah, there's all these possibilities, and we're so used to seeing them. That's why we're the ones that are continuing to repeat these messages, yeah. because I mean, unfortunately they happen. Yeah, it might seem a bit repetitive to people who obey, but like th- some, sometimes you just need that extra reminder, and it'll just make you go a little slower than normal so absolutely well um in the news today a recent spike in drug-related deaths has put the spotlight of course on drugs and drug addictions of late today the provincial government announced the formation of an all-party committee on substance use and addictions the announcement comes on the heels of a rally at confederation building last night uh, last month sorry where families pressed on government officials for action and what they believe is an addictions crisis in newfoundland and labrador health minister tom osborne along with Gerard Yetman, the executive director of the ACE Committee of Newfoundland and Labrador, and Jeff Bourne, the executive director at U-Turn Addiction Drop-In Centre in Carboneer, made the announcement earlier this afternoon at Confederation Building. Here's some of what they, was said. Government is putting together an all-party committee, similar to the all-party committee uh, that we put together to look at mental health and addictions. Uh, just over five years ago, which led to the recommendations um, uh, that provided the foundation uh, for Towards Recovery. There was a great deal of work uh, put into mental health and addictions as a result of Towards Recovery. 
uh, 42 recommendations, but there's much more work to be done. And recognizing that there's more work to be done, uh, we are putting together an all-party committee now to look at uh, addictions, um, overdose, uh, mental health, and how we build on uh, the work of Towards Recovery. The all-party committee will uh, engage with stakeholders, uh, with community organizations, with individuals with lived experience and living experience, the families of uh, individuals who have overdose uh, or addictions, sorry, addictions issues. Um, we will look at uh, best practices in other jurisdictions across the country, what we can learn from what works well there, what doesn't look, work well uh, in other areas. Uh, we will look to the all-party committee uh, to look at justice issues, education issues, uh, child, youth, and family services issues, social determinants um, that lead to uh, issues with mental health and addictions, uh, whether it be uh, things such as housing, uh, housing affordability, um, income support, the education system, uh, services provided through justice or child, youth, and family services, or the Department of Health and Community Services. It will be the task of the all-party committee to meet with stakeholders, community groups, organizations, and individuals, and provide recommendations to government on how we can improve the system how we can improve services to individuals with mental health and addictions issues. Um, just as an example, and I'll ask each of the individuals uh, that are, are here, um, we have uh, two stakeholders with us today uh, that can introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about their background and uh, how they feel uh, the all-party committee can um, provide benefit and recommendations to government. So I guess we'll start with you, Gerard. Okay. Good afternoon. I'm Gerard Yetman. I'm the executive director of the AIDS Committee of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, as, a as a community organization, we have big stakes in, in advancing services um, in the area of addictions. Since 2005, we've been providing clean supplies uh, throughout the province of Newfoundland and Labrador uh, with the support of the Department of Health. Um, also, I think it's very important that, that this committee is being established, or I should say re-established, um, because as a result of the mental health and addiction strategy, um, we have developed quite a lot of uh, resources, uh, programs to address addictions, but we also know that there's a lot of gaps. Um, so as a, as a community organization, I would like to work with that, the three-party committee so that we make sure that we get the voice of the p people with lived experience at the table so we can identify what are the needs. And as we all know, if we're working in addictions, there's not one answer to rehab. There's not one answer to harm reduction. So we really need to look at all the tools that we need in that toolbox uh, to address 
the issues that people are experiencing and help them on the journey that they need to take. And that journey is individual. Um, not, every, not everybody is on the same journey. So we need to make sure that we have programs and services to address the journey that the individual is on. Good afternoon, friends. My name is Jeff Bourne. I am uh, the executive director at the U-Turn Drop-In Center located in uh, downtown Carboneer. I'm also the chair of the Recovery Council, which stemmed from the 54 recommendations in the All-Party Mental Health Addiction Committee that formed back a number of years ago. I also bring lived experience with me. I, ha- I had like an hour and a bit drive coming in this morning, and I was able to sit down and I was able to reflect uh, for me, there's over 50 deaths. Is either totally opiate poisoning or uh, died by suicide that I came across since I started this journey with U-turn. Uh, to a point now that somebody's child, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, and it's huge for uh, I guess the all-party mental health and addiction committee to come together again. For the simple fact, it's not they; it's a we problem. And when I say we, is not all the governments for the solution. we got people in the community that need to come together. Uh, for me, from harm reduction to complete abstinence, uh, for me, my goal today is if somebody comes to me for help, as long as their wellness is getting better, their wellness is being met. So either they're going to use, if they've got a clean, safe injection site, so therefore uh, their wellness is looked at because if they do have opiate poisoning, they can be brought back in the medical nature. Uh, if they want complete abstinence, we need the door open for that as well. So I think hopefully what comes from this, maybe we might have some before, during and after uh, care towards after leaving the Grace Centre or Humberwood at Cornerbrook. Uh, but just anybody that's listening to me today, like uh, yesterday was a hard day for me because it was International Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, for me, I sat down and I, I, I cancelled a couple of meetings because the point is, this illness is killing our friends, our loved ones, our family members. So anybody out there, just sit back and take a moment and just reflect on somebody, because they are my comrades that's passed away. And I also got comrades, I call them, still in the trenches, that's fighting for their life. So I mean to say, anything we can do as a society to come together, to work towards that person's wellness... Uh, without judgment, without shame, without guilt. Because me, a recovering addict, I don't need anybody to give me any shame because I was ashamed of myself. I hated myself. I didn't want nothing to do with anybody. But hopefully me carrying my experience, strength, and hope that hopefully somebody might get that glimmer of hope. I don't lose hope on anybody. As long as you're breeding, there's hope, right? So uh, I guess the wellness uh, is one of the things I'm looking at. Let's look at the wellness of somebody. After getting three meals a day rather than one, that's wellness. Uh, After uh, pretty much, I guess, the wellness part, and and also the we, right? It's not them. It's not that one. It's not that one over there. It's not the government. It's not that party, this party. It's a we problem that's in the community. I follow the media. I knew this was coming before I got here. If you go online, you start watching out in Vancouver. There's things that are happening out in Vancouver now. There's videos. There's the same if you watch uh, zombies walking down the street. Uh, that's coming to Newfoundland eventually. So we cannot turn the blind eye and say, oh, that's on the West Coast. That wave is coming across, right? 
But anyway, if anybody got anything out of what I said, it's just let's come together and work together and stop pointing fingers because this is a problem that screaming and fighting is not going to solve anything. I know as we are frustrated, my heart goes out to people that's frustrated off the system and everything else. But me being part of the Recovery Council of 54 recommendations, we have come a long way in the last five or six years with mental health addictions. Are we there yet? No. Addiction changes daily from one day to the next. What works today might not work tomorrow. So by the time four years down the road, the stuff that we got in place, it mightn't work four years down the road because the game changed. And that's what I call it. When you're in that grip of addiction, it's a game. You wake up, you're thinking about it. You go to sleep, you're thinking about it. Well, I passed out. But anyway, I got a passion for this, right? And we need to love each other. I tell some moms and dads when they come in, I said, when you go home, give your child a hug. Tell them you love them for the simple fact is that they're more than their illness to substance use disorder. So give them a hug and have a conversation. Talk about something other than their addiction. That's Jeff Bourne, Executive Director at U-Turn Addiction Drop-In Centre in Carboneer, who uh, joined Health Minister Tom Osborne today and the Executive Director of the AIDS Committee of Newfoundland and Labrador, Gerard Yetman, for this announcement, I guess the the re-establishment of an all-party committee on substance use and addictions in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, coming up, we'll hear what the NDP has to say about this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, before the break, we heard from Health Minister Tom Osborne and local advocates concerning the creation of a new all-party committee on substance use and addictions. I say the creation, but it's actually uh, being resurrected, if you will. The announcement came following a recent spike in drug-related sudden deaths over the summer. Our NDP leader Jim Din was at Confederation Building today and spoke with reporters after the announcement, including VOCM's Richard Duggan. Any opportunity, I guess, to uh, put to take part in a, an all-party committee that's going to uh, address a, a serious problem uh, that that's facing us with addictions, mental health. Yes, we will, with a few caveats, of course. Uh, the key thing here we have number. It, it, first of all, it's got to be answerable to the House of Assembly. And it's got to be regular updates to the House of Assembly. It can't be a report that gets shelved. With too many committee reports that, and with recommendations that uh, get so far and, and, and are never acted upon. That's the first thing. The other thing is it's going to come down to uh, while, we're, while this committee is doing its work, we can't pause the other initiatives and other uh, measures that m- might need to be put in place to uh, solve the issue. We, uh, and, and we can start with organizations out there who already have the expertise in this area. And maybe it comes down to funding those organizations and increasing core funding so that it at least keeps pace with um, inflation so that they can do their work. The second thing is they can fill the 99 social work vacancies that exist in CSSD. Those are social workers who work with families and some which may be suffering from addictions and mental health issues. 
Related to that, I guess you could look at into in, turn, in the school system. Uh, if we assume that there are students, young people who are coming to school who may be coming from families where uh, uh, there are addictions and mental health issues and they themselves may have uh, suffering from addictions and mental health issues, then let's look at the ratio of school counselors. We've had a teacher allocation report out there that addresses some of these issues. Let's address the uh, make sure that we've got the sufficient and adequate counselors in the school and a, and a teacher allocation system that uh, addresses the needs of the students in the school. Apart from that, I will tell you that uh, that some of the biggest uh, stressors that I'm finding in my district when it, and, and tied in mental health has to do with adequate housing. Um, people living in substandard housing, uh, we can start. Uh, we can start addressing that need. Maybe with the uh, that doesn't need for wait for a report. I think the minister referenced that in the uh, certain in the uh, in the press release that came out. Uh, so people shouldn't be forced into shelters, which for the most part, a lot of people will tell me, people who have addictions, people who, they refuse to go there because they, they, they feel it undermines their own recovery and their own mental health uh, 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 health as well. So let's take a look at more non-market, community-based housing that people are, can uh, have that stable home, uh, stable housing and a stable place to live. We can see that the number, of, uh, the, uh, the number of people who are experiencing chronic homelessness and the number of people who are accessing shelters has increased. It's not an answer. We've got to get away from that. The other aspect of this, I would have to say, um, that is, it comes down to income, poverty. Uh, that's part of the problem, uh, and uh, and you know what? You look at the people who are just trying to, who are uh, who are struggling, who uh, and it's affecting their own mental health. I sit on the Guaranteed Basic Income Committee, and it's about addressing, giving people some stability in their lives. So let's address, uh, maybe in the interim, let's take a look at whether it's income support or um, a, an increased minimum wage, whatever you want to give people the. Uh, the means that they have to at least um, uh, provide, put food on the table, for that matter. The other aspect of it, access to, and this goes back to my earlier uh, first point when it comes to organizations, having access to programs when people need them, where they need them. Uh, so people are not forced into, uh, uh, not forced to, to wait a day, two days, a week, to, or, or six weeks or months to get to, to get to access to it. So these are things that can be done right now. There are plenty of reports out there, uh, plenty of studies that have that have uh, laid out these issues. Um, I think we can put those. We can start putting some of those measures in place. We don't have to wait for a report from a, a committee, especially if that takes a year or so to do. I think we can't afford to wait then. So that was NDP leader Jim Din outside at Confederation Building today responding to uh, the announcement uh, from the Health Minister Tom Osborne about the creation of a new all-party committee on substance use and addictions. Your thoughts on that? You're welcome to give us a call. Well, the Canada Revenue Agency is investigating about 600 employees who claimed a federal COVID-19 benefit 
and says it's fired 120 workers. The employees received the $2,000 per month Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, that was intended to help people whose jobs were lost or downgraded because of public health restrictions. And of course, the whole uh, point for that, they wanted to get it out as quickly as possible. They wanted to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to apply for it. A lot of people lost their jobs during COVID because their business was effectively shut down um, or they had their hours severely reduced because they had to work from the workplace and when they were working remotely and all of those kinds of things. So a lot of people had their hours severely reduced, so they had to have something uh, to keep them going. Uh, so that's why CERB was created and because it was created so hastily and was so easy to apply for it and get it, some people got it when they weren't really supposed to get it. They... I always like looking at the other side as well, wondering, you know, did they think they could get it and didn't realize? Uh, these people were CRA <laughs> employees, so they were they well aware. They should have, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's fraud. So it's simple as that. Yeah. So the CRA is now turning uh, over cases of suspected criminal activity to police. Ooh. Last month, a former worker was charged with fraud for allegedly collecting nearly $20,000 uh, in pandemic-related government benefits so we'll be hearing more about that no doubt <laughs> in the days to come uh, we're up to news time now this is news talk on vocm nutrition exercise keeping the cold at bay whatever keeps you feeling great the wellness and healthy lifestyle show on your vocm and we're back well those involved in aquaculture in newfoundland and labrador preparing for a major industry conference next week we caught up with the executive director of the aquaculture industry association jamie baker ahead of cold harvest 2023 for a little update on how business is going in newfoundland and labrador what does the aquaculture industry um, currently mean to Newfoundland and Labrador, both economically and from a, I guess, a socioeconomic level? Well, uh, on average, in terms of the pure economics, we're worth about a quarter billion dollars uh, annually, and we're hoping to grow uh, in the next few years uh, you know, at a fairly sustainable and steady rate uh, so that we can uh, we can achieve probably towards half and three quarters of a billion sector. It'll take some time and effort and investment, but uh, everybody seems to be focused on that. Uh, on the finfish side, we're going to be talking a lot about some of the advances that will allow that to happen. And on the shellfish side, some of the challenges that are in play that uh, are going to have to be addressed going forward and particularly, you know, I mean, that's a very green sector. Uh, we're, so we're going to be interested to talk about that. Socioeconomically, I mean, look, the, if you go into a community where this stuff is happening, um, you'll see firsthand the impacts. Uh, I was recently on the South Coast, and uh, there was a full harvest happening. And if you go into the town of Hermitage, for example, when uh, when Cook was harvesting a little while ago, you'll see firsthand the impacts. I mean, you're talking about a town, and the mayor there likes to, likes to say it publicly a lot, where they have 99% compliance with municipal taxes. I'm pretty sure you'd be hard-pressed to find too many towns who could brag that, but one of the reasons is everybody's working, everybody's doing what they need to do, uh, everybody's uh, a, a part of the play, everybody's in, in the water or in the plant, they're, they're having some kind of impact uh, both on the sector and the sector's having an impact back on them. So uh, I think it'll be important to kind of have some people come forward at the conference, and uh, we're going to have that uh, to kind of spell some of that out for people. I'm pretty excited to hear what they have to say about it all, actually, quite honestly. Where are our biggest markets? 
Uh, the United States, obviously, is a huge market uh, for everybody, and we're pretty well uh, positioned for that. Uh, they're right next door to us, so that, that's a really good one, and I think that's going to be our prime one going forward uh, because all of our product is pretty fresh. Um, in the future, uh, there's some opportunities potentially with some of the new uh, transportation options that could come on stream uh, to expand markets uh, to the other side of the pond, uh, whether it be Europe or places in Asia as well. So nothing's off the table when it comes to markets, but obviously our big one is Canada and by a lot the United States with uh, their hungry market down there. Were the markets affected in any way by uh, the pandemic? I mean, have you had to change things at all? Well, no, I think at our level, uh, the, the biggest impacts was uh, was on the farm level where, you know, of course, uh, I mean, when you're talking about being locked down during a pandemic, it was very difficult uh, to do some of the harvesting activities uh, that are required on shellfish and finfish. But we managed to get through those, I think, in good shape. Uh, I, I never get tired of telling people that our workers were designated as essential employees during that period. So that, I think, goes to show how important they are. And, uh, it, you know, the pandemic was hard on everybody, Linda. There's no question about that. Uh, but we've come out the other side of it now and uh, we're hoping to start seeing uh, that that kind of steady growth that we've been aiming for now for a few years Um, and hopefully uh, with COVID I keep saying hopefully behind us because you never want to count your chickens um, but uh, we're hoping for some uh, some pretty steady employment and growth and food production in the next couple of years. I know some concerns remain uh, with the aquaculture industry, and I know the aquaculture industry is continually um, updating and and keeping with, you know, current technologies and all of those kinds of things. But some concerns remain. I was talking with the Atlantic Salmon Federation um, just a little while ago, and again, once again, they they, uh, made the claim that uh, wild uh, salmon populations are being affected by open pen um, aquaculture. So address that, if you could. Well, it's funny because our last cold harvest conference, you mentioned the pandemic, was in 2019. So we haven't had a cold harvest since then. We had uh, the international show here last year, but we haven't had our own. So this is the first time in four years that we were able to have our own conference. And one of the things we were talking about the other day was just the sheer number of changes we've seen since that time. You know, the new technology in cages, uh, you're talking about new types of steel core netting that prevent escapes. You're talking about changes in how those cages are structured to allow fish to move more freely through the water column. Uh, we're looking at the implementation of natural solutions to pests, things like uh, cleaner fish, which are having a massive impact. Um, if you look at our numbers this summer, it, we've managed to do really, really well on that front. And I'm, I'm knocking on wood as I say that because, again, you never want to get ahead of yourself. But our, our people have done a really good job pushing back on all that, despite uh, the pretty warm temperatures that we've had. Um, so we've had we've had lots of things that have come into play in the last few years that have really changed the water on the beans. Um, it's exciting actually to see mm-hmm. some of these advances in the impacts that they are having. I think, if anything, one of the things that I've said a lot lately, and I will say it again, is that at some point, all of the people that are involved in the marine environment, whether it is the anglers, whether it's aquaculture, whether it's wild fisheries, at some point, we are going to have to come together and understand that our biggest opponent is the same opponent, and that's the changing environment we're seeing out there. And at some point, we are going to have to start to find ways to collectively combat that issue. Uh, And I think that's going to be critical going forward. For me, it's about putting aside politics and uh, putting uh, the environment first and that's where we're at and we're hoping to see some movement on that hopefully in the future and i hope people will be open to those discussions 
And Jamie Baker is the executive director of the Aquaculture Industry Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. They're hosting their Cold Harvest 2023 conference in St. John's next week. Well, coming up, the brave actions of the Merchant Marine. And here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we had thousands upon thousands of people involved in the Merchant Marine during the Second World War. Um, their brave actions recognized this morning outside the Marine Institute in St. John's on this uh, Merchant Navy. Navy Day. This is News Talk on VOCM. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, the thousands of brave men and women who ensured that vital goods were conveyed across the Atlantic during World War II under the constant threat of en enemy attack were recognized this morning during a ceremony at the Merchant Navy Memorial outside the Marine Institute here in St. John's. September 3rd is Merchant Navy Day. Here's Captain Eben March of the Master Mariners of Canada NL Division and Paul Brett, Vice President of the Marine Institute. I would like to welcome families of honored Merchant Navy veterans, Armed Forces veterans. We also have from the City of St. John's, Mayor Danny Breen. Dr. Tanya Allen, Memorial University, Vice President of Research. Earl Ludlow, Chancellor of Memorial University. Stephen Grimes, Memorial University Chaplain. Warrant Officer James Prouse, Royal Newfoundland Regiment Band. Master Mariners of Canada, Canadian Marine Engineers, and all people who have attended the, the service. Today, we come together to commemorate Merchant Navy Veterans Day, September 3rd, marks the 84th anniversary of Britain declaring war with Germany in 1939. Within hours of this declaration, the first merchant ship, Athenia, was torpedoed. It was a passenger liner bound for Montreal. The first UK merchant ship to be sunk in the war, it resulted in the death of 117 civilian passengers and crew. Among them were four Canadians, the first Canadian casualties of the Second World War. It would not be the only time a faster ferry was torpedoed by a U-boat. On this side of the Atlantic, the SS Caribou was sunk in October 1942, while en route to Port of Bass from North Sydney. Ten children were among the 136 civilian passengers and crew killed in the attack off the coast of Newfoundland. The commencement of the Second World War and the Battle of the Atlantic was six long years of the Merchant Navy. As part of the war effort from the Merchant Navy transporter troops and, across, and the supplies across the harsh Atlantic. The Merchant Navy's war effort included cargo ships, tankers and passenger ships converted to troop carriers and hospital ships. In addition, the normal challenge of sailing the Atlantic Ocean, the Merchant Navy also faced other challenges. They faced the constant threat of enemy U-boats, surface ships, and aircraft. All part of the enemy's intent to stop the supply lines for Allied forces. An estimated 60,000 Allied Merchant Navy men and women lost their lives during the Battle of the Atlantic. We are gathered here to remember the sacrifice of 333 Newfoundland and Labrador Merchant Navy and Navy personnel whose names appear on this memorial. We also remember those who survived enemy action during the Second World War. 
and have passed on. I now ask Dr. Paul Brett, Vice President of Memorial University of, for the Marine Institute to bring greetings on behalf of the University and the Institute. I'm very pleased to take part in this year's Merchant Navy commemoration and the 26th anniversary of unveiling of the Merchant Navy, Navy Memorial. It was unveiled in 1997. The Merchant Navy Memorial honors those who served. This memorial also bears the names of Newfoundlanders and Labradorian mariners, 332 men and one woman who lost their lives in service to their country. It serves as a symbol of the many freedoms we now enjoy, including the opportunity to train and work peacefully on the ocean, here at home and around the world. The Merchant Navy was not recognized as a uniformed organization during the war, yet Merchant Mariners played a vital role in the Allied cause. They transported desperately needed food, munitions, fuel, troops to Britain and other Allied countries around the world. More than 60,000 Allied Merchant Mariners died in the Second World War, and more than half of these Mariners were, were members of the British Maritime, uh, British Mariners, or sorry, British Merchant Marines, in which Newfoundlanders and Labradorians served. Mariners from our province also served in the Merchant Navies of Canada and the United States. The Merchant Marine convoys traveled back and forth across the dangerous waters of the North Atlantic, constantly under threat of torpedo attack by U-boats. They suffered heavy casualties during the six-year Battle of the Atlantic, losing one out of every four Mariners at the peak of the battle in the period from 1942 and 1943. During this time, enemy submarines sank on average 33 ships each week. Most of those losses occurred in the North Atlantic. Merchant mariners showed incredible bravery on the ocean battlefield, demonstrating heroism of ordinary Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who choose to risk their lives to serve others. Today, as we honor the supreme sacrifice of the merchant mariners, we also pay tribute to those who served in the Canadian, American, and British navies during the Second World War. They all served in a common cause, and today we recognize and honor their service together. Thank you for joining us here today to commemorate the courage and determination of the Merchant Mariners who contributed so much to the Allied victory in the Second World War. Let us never forget their sacrifice. That was Paul Brett, Vice President of the Marine Institute, and Captain Eben March of the Master Mariners of uh, Canada, Newfoundland, and Labrador Division. 333 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians lost their lives, um, uh, members of the Merchant Marine, who were involved in those huge convoys going across from North America to Europe, bringing all of the things with them that were needed in the war effort, everything from iron ore from Bell Island uh, and we saw, we, we saw the war come to our shores here in Newfoundland and Labrador with uh, the torpedoing of a number of iron ore carriers right there at the wharf uh, in um, Belle Island and in the, the tremendous loss of life with the, uh, the um, sinking of the SS Caribou. A passenger ferry just going across the Gulf like we see happens every single day here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So, I mean, the, the impact, uh, just tremendous. And the bravery, imagine now going across the North Atlantic, knowing that, you know, you were in some unseen U-boats sites. Yeah, and, and I 
didn't realize children being on board. Of course, as, yeah, because they well. were civilian air, uh, civilian um, mm-hmm. vessels, right? Uh, so uh, men, women, and children. Just a, extraordinary when you think of um, the war effort at that time. And I mean, um, while many of the people involved in that may no longer be with us, uh, certainly their children and their grandchildren are Would alive to tell the tale. Heard the stories. Although, it, yeah, and it would be interesting to know how many of them have those stories because um, I remember, I know this goes back to World War One, but my great-grandfather, I think he never, ever told anybody about it. And some generations do not want to speak about any of it because it's just too horrific. Mm-hmm. be interesting to know on that side for the Merchant Marines, did they... Um, you know, share their stories orally with their family. Yeah. It's nice to see, too, sometimes in uh, graveyards you'll see these little uh, foot uh, plaques, you Mm -hmm. know, that says member of a merchant marine. Yeah. And the the, uh, ears and that sort of thing. I love learning about other people's stories. Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of these people, once they you know, they did what they had to do. They saw some pretty uh, horrific things, and they came home, and they just wanted to live their lives. And suppress it. Yeah. And so oftentimes, I mean, the kids probably knew that full well, but the grandkids were like, Pop, Nan, tell me about. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you don't want to know about that. That's all right. You know? Just the generation. Yeah. yeah. And then it's lost. It's lost to history. Uh, but it's important. Uh, anyway, so many people, 333, just imagine here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and we've got that memorial up at the uh, Marine Institute. I was listening to the radio this morning, uh, Claudette, you talk about the passage of time and the like. I heard um, Ben Murphy reading the news, and he said, you know, that that um, memorial was officially dedicated 26 years ago, and I was driving in, and I said, no, it wasn't. 26 years ago. I said, no, yeah. it wasn't. I was there. That's like 15 years ago. <laughs> anyway, I started doing the math. Yeah. 1997. Okay. No, I was a reporter then. Yeah, 26 years ago. Just imagine. Time. It was windy that day, too. Really windy. And you remember. Oh, yeah. It was just like yesterday. It was a day not unlike today, mm-hmm. actually, and very windy, although it's sunny now, but it was overcast, and the wind was blowing a gale. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was 15. <laughs> uh, anyway, 26 years ago, there you go. Well, if you've driven down Ken Mount Road in recent weeks, you will no doubt have noticed people on the picket line outside a major St. John's dealership asking for people to burp their horns, as we say here in Newfoundland and Labrador. The Teamsters Local 855, which represents technicians at Cabot Ford Lincoln, held a rally outside the dealership over the lunch hour today to bring added attention to their ongoing labor dispute. Well, VOCM's Brian Callahan uh, went down to see what was on the go uh, and spoke with Teamsters Local 855 President Roger Sprecklin. So we went on strike on uh, Wednesday, August the 9th. We are currently into our fourth week on the picket line. Uh, Talks were really long and drawn out. We've been without a contract since the end of October of last year, 2022. Uh, The issue obviously is money, it's wages. Uh, There there is no retirement package that the employer contributes to for these individuals. The employer is uh, is really focused hard on providing a, a small wage increase that we successfully got through other dealerships in the middle of COVID. 
this collective agreement was up on the heels of COVID. Things have changed. The, the economy has certainly gotten worse. I don't have to tell anybody the cost of fuel, the cost of food. The bank rates continue to increase. And this employer wants us to accept the status quo on a wage increase. It doesn't cut it. The status quo is not what's happening in the economy right now. But why is it okay to be accepted as wages? What, what are they telling you about why they can't increase your wages? Is it just as tough on them as it is on everyone else? No, the best of my understanding is they just don't want to. When we first got to the table with this employer, I, I asked about how, you know, how, how did you make out getting through COVID? Uh, most of the employers that we deal with, they avail to the CEWS program through the federal government. Which is? Which is a, a, the payroll wage subsidy right. to help, uh, I believe the qualifications was if you were 30% down, you qualified. This employer came to the table and told the union that they didn't even qualify for the CEWS program. They did that well through COVID. So uh, just to refresh everyone again on uh, the numbers of people, yep. how many employees are affected here and what do they do? We started out with uh, 28 families on the picket line, 20 of which are technicians and apprentices in the service shop. The other eight are parts personnel. Uh, we've already lost one Red Seal. He's quit and moved on. There's rumors that the, the, this employer is going to start losing its, its Red Seals. And, and the problem they're going to face with that is... Th these, these folks are not just Red Seals. They are highly factory trained individuals. These manufacturers, they are really hard on needing their factory training, which the union fully supports. That makes these individuals the best of what they do. And uh, this particular dealership, Cabot Ford, is the only Lincoln dealership in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, so that's Teamsters Local 855 President Roger Spracklin on the picket line today outside Cabot Ford Lincoln. And you can hear the traffic passing by, uh, barping their horns uh, in support of uh, the people who are on the picket line there. They've been uh, there since uh, August the 8th, I think, is the, the date when they uh, walked off the job in part of their uh, contract dispute with, uh, or trying to, in their dispute and trying to get a new contract with the employer. Uh, so uh, they held a little rally there heading into the Labor Day weekend, so uh, timed, I suppose, uh, for that reason. Um, so we are heading into the long Labor Day weekend. Any special plans, Claudette? Oh, yeah, I've got lots of them, you know. Um, <laughs> I would love for you to think that I'm going to be so productive. Washing the floors. Have so much fun. Um, having a lot of great food. But, yeah, like a, a lot of people. I mean, people have been calling in because on our question of the day, is the same thing, what are you doing, right? Most people are staying home. You know, but we have this in culture in Newfoundland, at least like this image that everybody just packs up out of the city and goes. But we really don't. Like the, most people are staying home playing catch up and doing things. They got back to school stuff that they have to do for the kids. You have uh, not, not to instill panic in you okay. as a mom. <laughs> do you? My, my sister has to do that this weekend. One of my sisters, you know, um, the other one has it all taken care of. But what about you? Well, uh, sorry. Sort of almost last minute. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of what I do is last, last minute. minute. Uh, but uh, popped into a store uh, there last weekend, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, the place was hopping. I had to check the date and make sure it wasn't <laughs> December 24th. It was yeah. wall to wall. Funny how we got to have new clothes and <laughs> new things going into school. But I guess, you know, kids are growing. So. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. I bet you should. Apparently, only their too. feet grow. I was just going to say, I noticed for my family members, I'm like, my goodness, how is that possible? Just I literally just you. bought those running shoes. What is going on? <laughs>
how come your to- to- toes are curled up like that? <laughs> <laughs> and legs. Yeah, the pants. Yeah. Like, gosh. Oh. Uh, but that's all part of the joy of yeah. it all, isn't it? And, and all kids have their different tastes. Some like brand names. Some don't like brand names. I don't know. Just, some it, like certain colors and yeah, certain textures. You can, like you can go pick them out. You're going to have to drag them along oh, with you, right? No, that's all right, Mom. You go get it. Yeah, uh, no. no. <laughs> that's not happening. No, then because then you have to bring it back. Then you've just added to my workload. And stress. Yes. Yes. So, you know, you like these? Mm. I guess so. No, because if you say I guess so, that means it's going in the closet and it's not coming back out again. And I've just wasted X amount of money. So it's not just back to school. Like there's other things people are going to be doing, I'm sure. Are you going to actually have some downtime for yourself? Well, you know, there's a trip around the bay now and there somewhere. Um, Oh, Like I try to do if the weather is good. So uh, It is looking like it's going to be a great weekend. So you will have to make that trip at some point after you shop, of course. Somewhere in there uh, in in my uh, mad panic. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes you wake up in the morning going... I'm yeah, not doing a tap today. Sometimes <laughs> I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to complete things. It's, you know, the not the things that we don't do are sometimes just as important. Yeah. Just well, relax, too. All the beds need to be changed out, too. That's <laughs> happening at some point. But anyway, I digress. I hope you do have a good, uh, safe, and enjoyable long Labor Day weekend. Like all of our listeners, do uh, take care. If you happen to be out on the road or up in the woods or going out the bay, Um <laughs> Uh, uh, keep safety front of mind. Uh, please be careful. We don't want to be reading about you on Tuesday morning. We really don't. Uh, so uh, please take care and uh, enjoy the fruits of your labor. We'll be back on Tuesday. Do join us then. Uh, thanks uh, for everything and uh, bye-bye for now. <laughs>